Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and welcome to our spring session. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Hema Ramratan Lomax, Senior Corporate Counsel, Integrity and Compliance at SNAP, Inc. Hema started her career as a barrister in the UK and then spent several years in Washington, D.C. at the SEC before moving to California. And after the winter we've had, I'm so jealous. Um, it's a great time to get the opportunity to speak with Hema for many reasons, including that we just had another SNAP compliance act episode with Mary and Nicole Diaz. And that's even more exciting because not only does SNAP have an exciting new code of conduct that you heard about, but your program was shortlisted for Compliance Week's Compliance Program of the Year Award. So with all that in mind, Hema, welcome to the podcast. And can you talk a little bit about you know, how you, your journey into compliance um, and how you got to SNAP? It's such an interesting path. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And yes, I'd love to tell you about my path. It starts really early, I will say, when I was a child watching the news. And randomly, I was kind of moved by two things, mass transit accidents and war. Very strange. (laughs) And those things um, really are the beginning of the story. I had radical curiosity growing up as to what the conditions were that would allow those atrocities to happen. Paid a lot of attention to these things. Um, I will say even at the age of 16, a business law teacher asked me to go do some homework, write a cover letter and a resume for the ideal job that I might want to have. And I chose Secretary General of the United Nations um, as part of the research. Um, I did, uh, I don't know how I did it because I don't think we had internet then, but I found the resumes of the former Secretary Generals and looked at what they were doing and realised that they were all lawyers or professors and decided to have a go at at that path. Um, I will say even when I uh, graduated from law school in the UK, I was able, I succeeded in getting a job at the United Nations in New York. Um, And there was a time I was there where we were listening to a spiritual leader give a speech about um, uh, about what the issue of the day, but she looked into the crowd very intently and she said, one of you in that crowd will be the first female secretary general of the UN. So how does that relate to compliance? Well, <laughs> uh, with, with me trying to follow the path, I trained to be a criminal barrister. I started to try and find out why and you know what's, what's happening in these places. Um, I became a professor of international human rights and humanitarian law. I focused very much on who, who would be accountable for these issues, war or, or mass transit accidents. I focused more on the war because I you know, didn't really know much about planes, to be fair, and trains. Um, and I learned that actually... We looked at state responsibility, we looked at individual criminal responsibility, but really the truth is money rules the world, corporations rule the world. And so I took a massive pivot and decided instead of being focusing just on the blue collar crime and the, and, and, and the, the human rights piece, why didn't I focus on when corporations can become accountable? Um, I worked with Parliamentary Council in the UK while they were drafting the Bribery Act. And then I realised that the United States is doing a lot more at that time on prosecuting corruption and fraud by corporations. And so took the leap in 2008, 2009, came to the US and worked with the SEC, um, really focusing on FCPA, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act prosecutions. And again, after a decade there, I realised that, you know, dealing with corporations in crisis is one thing. But what about if you took a corporation that had a big brand, your reputation for doing the right thing, who maybe as a matter of policy would do more than the law would require 
to solve these big problems. And so there I went to Disney and now I'm at Snap, two companies that really care about their brand, really care about the reputation and have the resources, quite frankly, to put behind these big problems. So in a nutshell, that's how I ended up from Secretary General of the UN as an ideal to compliance as a function today. Well, I think it's really fascinating, and especially what you're talking about and how you got there. And one of the other things that's really interesting is you ended up saying, I want to be you know, global and I'm coming to the U.S. and chose going into the SEC, which I think is a fascinating you know, step in a career because I don't think a lot of people would have when they start thinking about these things, that kind of presence of mind in, and how critically important the SEC was then, but even more now. So. No, that's thank you. That's fair to say. I mean, I look, I've always had a global outlook. I will say I'm a product of uh, the Commonwealth in a way. I've got fam- immediate family from five different continents, and so I'm very proud of that. And um, I was looking for global solutions to to, to global problems. Um, but yes, it took a bit of courage and a bit of a leap of faith <laughs> to think I could just center myself in the middle of the activity and learn as much as I could. Again, radical curiosity takes you a lot of places. So. Yeah, which we're going to talk a little bit more about radical curiosity. But I think, you know, as you've said here and in this, you know, from your career path, it really is a journey of integrity in many ways. And I think one of the things with ethics and compliance, and that's why I often say ethics and compliance and not just compliance, is that it is, to use another cliche, it's it's an art, not a science. So, you know, with that, in terms of helping people make ethical decisions, I think the art of integrity is a great phrase and one that you've used. And can you talk a little bit about what that is and how you apply that to your career and the work that you're doing? Sure. And I'd love to. Thank you for asking. There's, As they say, there's no easy answers to these big problems. And the phrase, it's more of an art than a science comes to mind, which is why I think in terms of the art of integrity, I ask myself, what does that mean? For me, it really is based in two questions. Um, The first uh, is what are the conditions that would allow such bad things to happen, whether it's war, a mass transit accident, corruption in the form of a corporation, forced labour, whatever it might be. What are the conditions that is allowing this to happen? I mean, it's really that simple question. Why is this happening? Um, The second inquiry um, actually is what are the conditions that allow integrity to thrive? Um, Ernie Broughton actually taught me this. He said, "Be, be very careful about coming only from a place of problem solving and deficit also look at what works. Um, And that to me is a really important second inquiry. You can look at the conditions that allow problems to happen, but if you can focus on what works, for example, what are the conditions of relative peace? What are are the conditions of systems which experience holistic integrity or a lack of corruption? Then you're some way on your journey towards this artful (laughs) attempt to do something about the integrity in this space. Um, And so let's Okay, those are the two questions. What what are the answers? I'm sure <laughs> that's the more interesting piece. Um, I don't profess to know the answers, but I'll tell you what I, I think I've learned on my journey so far. I mean, the first lofty question would be, what is it? What is it that allows atrocities to happen? What tears down the fabric of society in that way? And I think really it boils down to something very simple, insecurity. Insecurity can come in many forms, deficit, fear, isolation, resentment, entitlement, greed. Um, but that's core. Every, everywhere you look, there's some insecurity. And s- twinned with that is the manipulation of that insecurity, oftentimes through the manipulation of stories or storytelling. We've seen the weaponization of communications. I mean, I think about back to the Rwanda war I was looking at when I did my PhD and the way that the radio was used in order to um, send messages. We, we, know, we know there's a lot of fake news going around now, the role of social media in this. So um, those two things, insecurity and the manipulation of that insecurity, I thought were really, the, those are my answers to what conditions allow 
um, such atrocities to happen. And then on the flip side, well, what can we do to make conditions to allow integrity to thrive? Um, and so I look at, I love to always create three C's. <laughs> I've got at least three C's to throw at you, so let me do this. Um, what works? Community, culture, and communication. Those are my three C's. What do I mean by that? Well, community, I'll throw a few things out. A sense of belonging, a sense of shared values, accountability. Um, on that, I'll just pause. One of my favourite quotes from Grace Lee Boggs, a Chinese-American civil rights and labour activist, is you cannot change any society unless you take responsibility for it, unless you see yourself as belonging to it and responsible for changing it. Um, I think that's critical to community. I think that's critical to the work we do at SNAP. We try to make sure we create a community of, of shared values, a culture of kindness. We try to recognise commonalities and diversity instead of difference. And something that's really important to me, we try to promote active bystandership, look out for each other. We speak to each other about what could be going wrong and how to fix it together. We problem solve together. On culture, well, culture we know is a big thing when it comes to ethics and compliance. But what does that mean to me, at least? I think culture means trust. You need trust among, among the community members. You need psychological safety, another you know, important phrase. Empowerment, independent thought. And, and healthy curiosity about each other. I mean, again, I think curiosity, we've talked about it already, but it's it's a part of kindness. If you're more curious than judgmental, if you admit that your superpower is knowing what you don't know rather than sharing what you think you do, I think that can help a lot with the culture. And then the final C, well, the third C at least, is communication. Um, storytelling is powerful, as I mentioned before. Storytelling can be manipulated. And so we have to think about how we communicate, how we share our values, how we let people know they're not alone. Um, we had a wonderful diversity event at Snap just yesterday, a part of our a summit, where we talked about disability and how people needed to share sometimes their stories to let others know they weren't alone. Um, so another piece of, uh, of community. Um, and finally, just transparency is important right so in terms of communication if you're transparent if you feel you could admit you've made a mistake that's very important yeah I'm going to add a bonus C I've said three C's but I have to add another one in we talk a lot about controls and ethics and compliance and I think our efforts to create the conditions I just mentioned are the controls again at SNAP we talk about facilitating uh, ethical decision making helping people and supporting them to do the right thing which is for the most part everyone's intention people really do want to do the right thing we trust that um, but I will say you can't stop at policies procedures and training when it comes to those controls we we like innovation and that's one of the reasons I love working at SNAP I get to experiment with innovation um, things like the practical applications of behavioral science I think Christian Hunt talks a lot about that um, influence and the art of persuasion uh, there's a great book by Robert Cialdini on influence and persuasion. And I love working with Carsten Tams on it. Um, Co-creative design. Um, these, these are things I think the types of innovation we need. And then I'll just add one more thing. Um, what Something else I'd love to explore is what I call coaching for compliance. Um, and go we're ahead. going to talk about that for a second. But I want yeah, to ask please. you a couple of quick things first, too, when, that you made me think about us talking about the art of integrity, which I think when I'm thinking about the last couple of years, I'm thinking about two really humongous, you know, very big things. You mentioned the Rwanda war, but now Ukraine, when you talk about, you know, what is tearing down, you know, the fabric of society and things about weaponizing communications and COVID, um, you know, the, the number of discussions out there about what, you know, vaccinating, not vaccinating, you know, what is false, what isn't, or the, you know, the insurrection. And I mean, both when you think about the communications and all of these big items, and then what you're talking about too here is tying it back 
to ourselves in ethics and compliance, because those things may seem incredibly far away, but at the same time, they're also, you know, much closer when you look at those things that are getting broken down and having people come and talk to us and organizations saying like, if nobody in the world is doing this right, you know, why are you asking from a higher standard for us or what are you you thinking about? So I think that those are, you know, I, I kept thinking about all of those issues as you were speaking there. And then that really tied back into me for coaching for compliance, because that's exactly what you then need to do, because it's not just what someone sees at SNAP or for me at Pearson. Right. No, it's so insightful. And thank you for, for, for tying it in, because I think sometimes I think I'm a bit weird thinking about war and then thinking about compliance. But actually, it boils down to the same thing. It's humans, human behavior. What what in, what incentives make humans act one way or another? And how can we support and influence that in a positive way? Um, coaching for compliance is that, I think, of the coaching profession, just in, in the abstract. It, it does tend to do that. It tends to ask curious questions. It tends to... Um, coaching, I think, think, is a really good way to involve the people that you're trying to persuade and influence and support and have them come up sometimes with the, the solutions to the questions they have themselves. So asking open-ended coaching questions, having your teams um, participate in the solutions, not just be told by a compliance team or a legal function, you should be doing X. Um, I was lucky at Disney to, to lead a leaning group as part of my diversity work. And I experimented with peer coaching um, at Disney for this reason, to see how we didn't do it for compliance. We just did it for anything you wanted to do. You know, you, it was called the next right thing. Um, and the, the idea was that the participants would come together. The first person would say what they wanted to talk about. And then others would listen, ask coaching questions and then discuss the problem that they'd heard. And I think it could be really powerful to, again, a sense of community, a sense of trust of your people. You're not telling them they don't know. You're almost leveraging what you know they do know. They're actually closer to the ground. They know what's going on. And I think the constant challenge for us as compliance professionals is getting near to that. How do we embed ourselves in the business? How do we make friends and make contacts so we can get to know this stuff? Well, one way is to just recognize that the, where the information sits and use it where it is versus trying to take it and do something with it somewhere else. So I love the idea of coaching for clients. I'm exploring it myself. But um, it's, again, co-creative design is part of that, make, making sure you, you're not designing any solutions that don't involve the people that have to implement them and getting from them the ideas on how to solve uh, and how issues come up. Yeah, and having them trust you. I think like I think you really just hit on that right away because oftentimes you know people are so sure that we're going to try to block something they're doing that it's you know or and I think that's changed and I think most of the people in this community and others really want to avoid that but being able to talk about it and have it almost like a two-sided coaching as you said if it's peer coaching or something or anything else because within the organization um, we don't we can't identify the the risks or the pain points I mean, we could come up with a perfect policy that could solve any problem in the world, but if nobody understands it or it doesn't relate to anyone's day to day, what's the point? Right. Um, no, I think again, it again it boils back down to the radical curiosity. I mean, instead of thinking, you know, like <laughs> I think I'm very smart. I've been to the SEC. I know the inside out of the SDPA, but do I know anything about the day to day of my teams? Not unless I'm curious. Um, and that's, I think, you know, again, even just bringing my regulator hat on, when, when the SEC or the DOJ are asked for risk assessment, when they ask for us to have a tailor-made program, I think that's what they mean. There's a reason they don't tell you what a compliance program looks like, specifically. There's a reason because they want you to tailor it to your business, your risk, your need. And so I love that compliance gives us the freedom to experiment with that and meet our teams where they are and really dig deep. 
Um, we don't want to be seen as the, as the police. We don't want to be seen as this silo in a corporate function that people are either afraid of or, or flinch when we call. So, yes. Yeah, or be afraid to tell you what happened because something may have gone wrong. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. And I think it's really important to, like you said, to give a, a safe feeling that people have the you know, courage to experiment and make mistakes. One of my personal corollaries is give them enough room to do that, but don't allow catastrophic, you know, don't let it to be a point where the person could inadvertently lead us, lead themselves or someone else to catastrophic failure either. Give the courage, you know, the courage and the space to experiment, but also make sure that you're not, you know, just throwing them in and saying, well, that was a really awful idea. Now, how do you fix it? Um, and Absolutely. I- Again, that boils down to the insecurity. Yeah. You want people to trust you. You want people to be able to come and ask if they're not sure. Um, you know, the no silly question rule is, is important. I think if compliance functions don't work on that, we'll, we'll get to the point where people don't come to us unless there's a real problem. So, yes, I love the co-creative coaching uh, as a tool when it comes to compliance. So, you know, I think that that's great. Um, But, you know, with all of that, talk about how that applies to what you're doing. Um, You talked a little bit about now some of your lean-in experience in the past, but at SNAP, um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I talked a lot um, with Nicole about the code and, um, you know, and now um, I was also wanted to ask you a little bit about, for you, what integrity and compliance at SNAP means to you and uh, to the business as a whole. I mean, I think it'd be great to kind of keep that thread going because you guys have done some great work. No, I love it. Thank you so much. And yes, I mean, we're so proud of the code. I can't take any credit for that. That was all Nicole and the, and the team that came before me. But it really is a good foundation um, to to brand ourselves, brand ourselves as a as a compliance function as well as a company. You may remember that the code is actually called the Guide to Kind Business, mm-hmm. and kindness is the thread throughout the code. Um, again, there's many ways that you can define kindness, but some of the things that come to mind for me at Snap is what we talked about: empowerment. And psychological safety, that's really, really critical. We've heard a lot about that in the DEI space. I can talk more about that. But I see our employees as our brand ambassadors. It's not me, it's compliance. It's our employees, it's our teams. Um, We see ourselves as merely facilitating ethical decision-making by those employees, supporting them. And we trust that they generally want to do the right thing. And then that leaves us to look out for things that might impede the energy, that good energy of kindness, that good energy of doing the right things. Things get in the way. I will say compliance teams have to watch out that they're not getting in the way. <laughs> you know, we can put in too many policies and processes that mean we actually get in the way and confuse our teams. So um, I really appreciate um, that opportunity at SNAP to, to dig deep and make our values come to life. One other thing I'll say is the leadership is wonderful. We talk about tone at the top, but definitely I, I see, I've heard this, this phrase said, we don't want a dollar that's going the wrong way. And I love hearing that. I've heard that from a number of leaders at SNAP. Um, that comes from the top. It's part of our core values of kindness. It takes care and attention. I think that and I feel that. Um, I personally feel seen, valued, heard and trusted, which I think is wonderful that a company can give you that space. And as I said before, you mentioned it, I know I can try things and make mistakes and then try again. And that to me is critical. So yes, that's the culture. That's that's not beyond just anti-corruption and trade compliance and money laundering, but really there's the source of all of our behaviours. If we feel comfortable, we feel trusted, we're part of a community, we have shared values, um, I think that makes a huge difference. That's one of the things I love about being at SNAP. I also really just, I mean, I I really love the idea of kindness as as a value and as sort of a guiding principle for that. Um, So, I I mean, I really, that's, as, as I mentioned, and I've said it before, like, 
the, I, I, and I put this in recently, I mentioned to you, I have a, a, a friend who recently started at SNAP and I was like, you have to see their code of conduct, which I will say when it's talking to a non-ENC professional, they don't always have the same, you know, oh, I'm so excited for my new job. I can't wait to see the code. But nonetheless, you know, it was one of those things that, I mean, I just think everything, you know, the way you've done it and tied it into who you are and who you want to be is really great. And also with that, when we talk about who we are and who we want to be, you know, what do you think if you, the advice that you might share with people trying to either get in this field or others, or, you know, as you've now, you know, really made a life coming out of the values you had when you were a kid? Oh, well, thank you. That's, that's a great question. So I will say kindness to yourself, right? Stop, stick with kindness for a second. And for that, I mean, keeping your own passions alive, I had some weird passions as a kid, as I said at the top of the call, but, um, you know, these things moved me and I felt compelled to do something. I had lofty ideas of my power as a kid and I'm grateful to my parents for that, for making me believe in myself. Um, For me, then, my advice would be, how do you keep those passions alive? I would say, look for opportunities for connection and growth along that journey for yourself. Um, And that can come within the the contours of your employment or, or outside. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One thread through my Student and professional life has been diversity, equity, and inclusion leadership. Um, it's very important to me. I always make time for it. Um, I like as much as I can to integrate it into our work. And there's great synergies between our compliance and ethics work and the DEI work we do. Um, I was student union president in college. Um, I was a cha- on the chairman's diversity council at the SEC. Um, when I went to Disney, I co-led the Disney Lawyers of Colour and Women in Legal at Disney groups. Um, and again, really great vantage point um, when you do that work for a compliance professional. And because you get to, firstly, we're talking about connection across different business lines. And so you get to know people across the business for different reasons. So it's wonderful for that reason. Um, even at SNAP, I'm co-leading the business impact pillar for SNAP Women and the outreach community. I feel like I can give back, but I get so much in return when I do that work, I can also see what's going wrong in different corners of the company. Um, people feel more comfortable speaking up in those spaces. If you can create that space of belonging, you hear different um, barriers to that energy. We talked about that, that, that kindness energy. Um, and then you can be influential. Again, I, I'm not formally a leader, but as a diversity leader, I got to practice leadership skills and speak with, for example, the Chairman's Diversity Council. I was able to speak to the chairman of the SEC, which I may not have got as a junior lawyer there. Um, one thing I know that's that's near and dear to your heart is sending the elevator back down. I know you have you and you guys have written a book, and I love that book. And I think that's another thing that you get to do. That's a passion of mine. I appreciate what you've done for us, and I'd like to pay it forward in the same way. Um, I'll also say, so I said what you can do inside. There's a few things that you can, I'm doing outside the uh, SNAP as well that I'm very proud of that keep my interest in these very diverse <laughs> passions I have. And so I'm on the advisory boards of a number of organizations. One is an alternative dispute resolution um, group, CPR, ADR. Um, another is Freedom Seal. It's an organization that deals with forced labor and helps corporations develop their human rights programs and understand their supply chain. Again, I'm very, it's not my day job at SNAP, but I'm very interested in that and how we can help corporations more broadly focus on that very big problem. And lastly, I think I mentioned Active Bystandership earlier. I'm on the um, advisory board of ABLE, Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement. Um, This is a a partnership between um, Professor Christy Lopez at Georgetown University and John Aroni at um, Shepherd Mullen. And it's really important. It it builds upon a training developed by um, Dr. Irvin Staub. He is the founding director of a program on the psychology of peace 
um, sort of a program on psychology of peace and violence. And the program helps police officers stop unnecessary harmful behavior by fellow officers. It's really interesting. It really took off, obviously, after George Floyd was tragically killed in, in 2020. Um, it redefines loyalty as looking out for each other versus snitching on each other, right? So not snitching is loyalties. And I think that's really important even in the corporate culture because you've got to think about toxicity exists and discrimination exists. And what can we do about it? Yes, there are procedures and policies, but we all, we all know they're not used in the way they can be and they're not as effective as they should be. But I love the active bystandership philosophy that Irvin Staub has developed because it's it's about speaking up and speaking with your colleagues and helping them in real time. I will say, Dr. Staub wrote a book called The Roots of Evil, and it was one of the books I looked at as part of my PhD. My PhD was um, entitled Breaking the Cycles of Vengeance in Internal Armed Conflict. Again, another lofty title. What um, a light topic. A light topic, right. But again, I'm looking for accountability and, and problems. And it's, it's interesting that it came full circle because I read his book two decades ago, and now I'm working with him as part of ABLE. So really exciting. So anyway, I mentioned those organisations, not just to pat myself on the back, but to say there are so many things going at on out there that you can dedicate your time to your spare time i've also got two little kids so i haven't got that much spare time but he's wondering where you have all this <laughs> spare time um but <laughs> well i will my family's also wondering too but no you can concrete sorry you can um help in concrete ways right. um and, and just the advisory boards alone they're not asking too much they're just asking you to be there and help and, and you know bring your experience to bear so that's all to say my advice again you asked the question my advice would be keep your passions alive I, I always say I'm nosy and greedy. <laughs> like, get involved, be curious, and, and use those opportunities to make connections because you never know who you're going to meet when you volunteer to do these things. And I think even, I think people sometimes think you we're just talking about not having much time. Nobody has a ton of time, realistically. But on the other hand, when you get to do things that you're really energized about and that takes you out of like what you're doing professionally day to day, but still has substance you care about. It makes a huge difference. It helps, you know, you and your life and your perspective. Not only do you get to meet incredibly fascinating people. Mary and I also talk about that about the podcast. I've met more people I may have never met otherwise, both within inside and outside the ethics and compliance world. And then other things that you do, you know, the things that you care about, they really do all tie back and they, you know, you're, you're, it's not an all or nothing. I know sometimes people get concerned about that, but sometimes it's also great to be excited about things that, you know, the, the things you're talking about now it might not be what you do every day, but it's still exciting. And it's still, you'll find all these, you know, interconnections, I think. Um, oh, no, I love that. I mean, look, in the end, obviously, I started with these lofty goals of Secretary General of the UN, but what I've realized is you can make an impact. I mean, you, you are the, your impact is the sum of your everyday activities, and so any anything you can do to to help. I will also say it sounds very selfless, but it's very fulfilling. I mean, not not just because it's very value centered and mission focused, but also because I meet so many like minded people. And I mean, I, again, I want would love to remark that what you're doing for the community, great women women in compliance, you're creating a community of like-minded people with shared values that fill me with joy. It's just so nice to not be the only weird person that cares about these things. <laughs> um, and thinks, you know, thinks big that we could make a difference even, even in when it comes to daily habits. So I really appreciate again those that send the elevator back down, say that again. Um, I think it's a really unique community, this community of compliance professionals, because they're so generous. It's not very competitive. I think we're all trying to benchmark and figure out the right way or new ways to do things. And so I really appreciate it. 
if I may, I might actually talk about one great woman in compliance. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I mean, you have, when we were talking about community and you've talked about how your past has influenced you, I know you have a very, many different ways of talking about great women in compliance generally. So I wanted to talk to you about you know, how do you define that? I mean, I've got so many mentors, sponsors, friends, people that just saw energy and decided to add value to that and, 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 and lift us and elevate us. So I'm so grateful for all the people that have seen my strange career path and seen a spark of something they could do to help. Um, of course, the first woman in compliance to do that for me was my mum. <laughs> um, my mum was born in Uganda. Uh, she unfortunately passed away on March 7th of 2020, just before the pandemic really hit. Um, she lived magnificently with a terminal illness for a decade. Um, in fact, in terms of compliance, not she was a nurse, but she was actually an infectious control expert. So, gosh, she would have she would have had a lot to contribute with it, when it came to the pandemic, and probably would have horrified her in many ways. But I mentioned her because, as a teenager in Uganda, she was uh, she left Uganda when she was nineteen. She recognised the need for community, culture, and communication. Those three C's that I mentioned earlier. Um, Uganda is a country, you know, with a past of colonial rule. Um, so there's many different communities. There's, a, there's often tensions created between those communities, Indians, whites, Africans in that space. And she recognized that something needed to be done there in her community to bridge that gap. So she created something called the Oneness Club, Oneness, um, to bridge that gap. And as idealistic as it sounds to me, integrity is about bridging gaps. Um, it's allow- about allowing people to show up as their whole selves and creating space for kindness and a community of shared values. And so for me, the art of integrity is truly oneness. And I thank my mum for leading that charge way before I was born and then sitting in me, the belief that I could do something about oneness and integrity too. Well, I think it's really, I mean, I think we all definitely, you know, sort of come in from a lot of how we kind of grew up in our perspectives in different ways. It's interesting. I work in education technology and I was, my dad's a lawyer. My mom is a librarian that pretty much my whole family had something related to either education or legal, but this is a different application of it. But I think we all, and I think in this community, get the opportunity to interpret it differently and share that as a whole. I think oneness is very, very important. And also the the understanding that we can all be different and be one um, as a community. So I think it's a really great you know, great concept. And, you know, I just want to tell you how much I enjoy getting a chance to catch up with you here. I'm looking forward to, I guess, you know, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll both be at Compliance Week um, in Washington, D.C. And I know you're here regularly. Um, and thank you so much on behalf of Mary and me and, you know, the Great Women in Compliance podcast. So thanks so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Lisa. You too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 